2: And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today's episode is a fantastic one. I'm super excited. We finally got Mark Goodman. He is the principal at Goodman Commercial, and he's also the author of um, the very well known
1: publication, Goodman Report. That's right. The Goodman Report. This is, if you're not on this list, it comes out a couple times a year. You should be uh very data driven all things commercial real estate they focus on multifamily and that's the 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 thrust of the conversation today but um yeah, and 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 these guys do a lot of business. Mark and uh, his partner Cynthia and and his father David. Um I think there was 80 transactions in the multifamily space last year and they did 20 of right. them or or maybe more than that. Um so their their footprint is large and uh yeah, nobody better to talk to than than Mark. It's funny because
2: I think everybody it was I think maybe a week or two ago Um, everybody was posting on social media in our circles, at least about the sale of beach towers down in basically in English Bay. Um, everybody knows
1: somebody who's lived at, at beach towers at some point. I would say, I feel like I know I could list 10 people right now. There's, there's two on this call,
2: I think. Actually, I've never lived there, but I've, I've known a of no, people never, that have. Lived there. I've never. I was like, no, nope, not me. <laughs> Seventeen other buildings in the West End, but not that. There's no. But you, I've got a couple other people on this call I haven't let you in on yet, but uh, there's, there's probably there's probably several people listening to this show that's lived that have lived at uh, Beach Towers before, though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was some a big good sale. parties. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was a big sale. And also um, you know, you think about just uh all of the listings that he's working on, they're they're big deals. Um these are these are big transactions that happen. And we do actually today talk about uh well first of all, Mark's a fantastic storyteller, so there's some great stories that come out of today's conversation. Um, and then also though, we talk about some transactions that happen. If you want to just get an inside track on some of the bigger deals that are
1: happening in the lower mainland, uh, what a great episode for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt. No doubt about that. And, uh, and yeah, I feel like, uh, I feel yeah he's a great storyteller uh he's lived uh an interesting life uh his father who i have never met sounds like a very interesting guy uh yes it's, it's an all around great conversation with mark today yeah and and other good news
2: uh today we're we're recording this on may sixth um one day after Cinco de mayo and uh two days after may the fourth be with you um this is this is an interesting day because we just heard from uh, Premier John Horgan he has announced that gatherings of two to six people will be permitted in time for the long weekend, which means Matt, your birthday party can happen this summer, all six of your <laughs> friends <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna work it's gonna work we don't have to cancel on anybody, so this is exciting stuff. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I. The, my first thought was on May Long barbecues, like, <laughs> like uh, you know how many how many people how, who has a barbecue with? I'm thinking, okay, if I'm there and my wife's there, there's only yeah. four other people. <laughs> uh, this well, you is got to you have your recipe daughter Recipe for recipe for hurt feelings is what what Oregon just outlined here. But <laughs> it's like, oh, you
2: guys had a barbecue. Why didn't I get the invite? It's like, ah, oh, sorry. <laughs> This is two to six people. Trim the and, and trim the fat. Trim the yeah. fat. Yeah, yeah. We actually only had four, but they they didn't they didn't specify. We're they just said being two cautious. <laughs> We're being cautious. Yeah, exactly. But no, retail stores are going to open. Hair salons, uh, childcare, restaurants. Kind of. Uh, I heard <laughs> pubs are back. um it, what else? The big. What were some of the big ones? Uh, hotels, movie theaters, and the film industry are probably gonna s- are set to open this summer. I'm thinking June uh, is because uh, I've I've actually heard from someone that some hotels are actually taking reservations currently for June. So I don't know if they're being overly optimistic, but um, this is actually this is really exciting news. Uh, I think a lot of people are looking forward to getting back to business as usual here.
1: Yeah, no. It feels it feels uh, great to hear this. Uh, the sun's shining today. It's going to get up past twenty in the next couple of days. So, no, there's a light at the end of the tunnel for sure. Here, um, speaking of which, uh, well, this isn't light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> related at all. But uh, well, two things, right? One, we are hiring. Right? We said yes. last week we're hiring. Uh, we are looking for well. A couple different jobs, actually, but we've, primarily- got, we've got roles,
2: yeah, non-licensed roles and licensed roles. So we've got kind of office management type roles, and we also have uh, roles for licensees. And you know what else is interesting in this episode, Matt, is, is Mark Goodman is also hiring. We, <laughs> we sat down to have a conversation about commercial real estate, and uh, it turned into like
1: Indeed.com. <laughs> we're all we're all hiring, but so if you're if you're licensed or getting your license very soon, please consider joining Scalina Real Estate. That's we are hiring a, a buyer's agent, somebody to join the team. You can send your resume to. Info at Vancouver Real Estate dot com and uh thank you everyone who's already done so. Uh we appreciate yes. that. That was uh, we've had some some uh some great applications, but uh we it's still open. Please keep them coming. And Adam, as you said, admin roles as well if you're interested in admin, if you've lost your job recently. Um. Please reach out. We are looking for uh, that type of position as well. Yeah. Well, we would. Have,
2: I just want to say quickly, Matt, before we get to the stats, we would love to keep this in the VRep community. And if you do, maybe it's not you that that's uh, looking for work right now, but if you know somebody that you think would be a great fit that would want to work with uh, with us. Here uh, at Scalina Real Estate and the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. Please do ask them to get in touch. Send a resume at info at uh, Vancouver Real Estate And then uh, also, Matt, yeah, let's get to the stats because very, very interesting stats just released uh, about three or four days ago.
1: Yeah, I so I think last week we were saying uh, the deep freeze was on, and there seemed like there's pockets that were were a little bit busier than others, but they wouldn't tell us much. But they actually they're kind there's some interesting kind of high points here, Adam. Uh, Why don't you hit some of them?
2: (laughs) Sure. Um, So I it's interesting partly because we're looking at uh, obviously we're we're looking at the month of April. If you look now at last April um, to this April, we are down 39% in terms of sales. Okay. So that's, that's pretty significant. Um, if you look at inventory though, we're down inventory wise, 34%. So in other words, what's happened here over the last month or so is that, Sure, a lot of buyers have moved to the sidelines, but a lot of sellers have decided that you know, they, they don't want anybody in their home, or they don't want to list, or perhaps they're just going to delay they don't when want to they move. come on the market. They don't want to move. Yeah. Nobody wanted to move, right? So uh, we did see just kind of the whole entire market push pause, um, and we're talking really here about a 5% spread. It's uh, between uh, you know, um, inventory and, uh, and number of sales.
1: But, and of course, in order to chart where the market's heading, people really watch inventory, right? And inventory, the, the idea here was potentially that demand goes away and inventory starts piling up. And, and of course we haven't really seen that yet. I mean, we're, we're what, six, seven weeks in here, but, uh, April kind of suggested, yeah, a full on pause, except, except in certain markets that were really surprising, like, like downtown Vancouver. Um, well, yeah, like that, yeah, speak to it. Preach. Well,
2: yeah, you know, well, here's the thing. If you look at just, so I'm just going to quickly run through a couple markets and some of the sales ratios. So first of all, Vancouver downtown. So overall downtown was a 13% sales ratio. So basically a, a, a balanced market kind of favoring buyers, uh, I would say. But if you look under 700,000, um, it's a seller's market basically across the board. Um, Sales ratios of 38%, 24%, 27%. Very, very active under the $700,000 mark. Um, If you look at detached houses on the west side, it was a 9% sales ratio. But again, a lot of pent-up demand and kind of the entry-level price points for the detached market. So you saw higher percentages in um, obviously up to
1: about the 2.5%. Uh, no, even you know mark. what, even even close at up to two point seven five to three was twenty one percent. Yeah, so it was really, yeah, anything under exactly. uh, the market under three million was was you know surprisingly active
2: fairly active for sure for considering we were in a global pandemic shutdown right I mean this is this is it's all relative um, but you know if you look at the west side for the attached market it was a 12 percent sales ratio across the board but again we saw a lot of activity up to that seven hundred thousand dollars price point so a lot of first-time home buyers trying to get into the market um, and then Vancouver East side detached houses, this has been a market that hasn't seen a ton of great kind of turnkey inventory, and we always talk about how we monitor this market like hawks. Um, again, it's a fourteen percent sales ratio, so a very balanced market in detached houses in East Vancouver. But if you look at the price points, again, a lot of pent up uh, pent up activity in the um, in the entry level price points. And in area specific, there's a lot of activity in, in the, you know, the most popular areas like, uh, you know, Grandview Woodland, for example, or Cedar Cottage or Mount Pleasant. I mean, these are areas that are, are very, very active still um, in the month of April. So it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting. And then last market, Matt, is the Vancouver Eastside Attached Market. So condos and townhomes, um, again, uh, in the entry level Definitely a seller's market all the way up to about six hundred thousand, where the market starts to get balanced to about one point two five million, um, and we saw seventeen percent sales ratio overall. Um, so again, it's definitely a balanced market, but leaning more towards sellers in that case. Um, so you know, it's it's uh, it was an interesting month. Um, we were completely in lockdown for the entire month. Everybody will remember um, as it, it's, things started to shift about, uh, in the
1: last two weeks of March. Yeah. I mean, that is the, that is the big surprise, right? I mean, I feel like on in a normal April, I, I would have spent, um, you know, probably 15 to 16 hours of my day downtown. We work downtown, our office is downtown. I think I went downtown maybe once or twice for the entire month. And, right. and for these, these, uh, So these sales ratios surprised me. I was scared to go into elevators. You were scared to leave your house. Yeah, Matt, we've
2: been taking tons of precautions here. Like my wife actually even had me uh wrapped up in cellophane the other night. Uh safe word quarantine. But um seriously, the uh it's uh, it's it's uh it's it's been a different world. We're trying to play it safe. Um and I'm just kidding about the cell wrap. We're, we were but we are what, we are to say with... is
1: we were surprised by the sales rate numbers coming out of downtown. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, I, I'm like I haven't been getting into
1: any elevators. That's that's for sure. But I will be uh, I will be soon enough. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm just thinking on time here. Uh, we better get to who sponsors our podcast, Oakland Realty. Yeah, we are sponsored by Oakland. So if you are a a seasoned
2: agent out there, or if you're a new agent, somebody looking to get into real estate. Uh, first of all, there's no better brokers than Oakwin Realty, and uh, you can go to oakwin.com slash join and sign up there with the code. What's the code again?
1: The code is VRP2020, VRP2020, and you get a big surprise.
2: Yeah, it's a huge surprise. It's it's one that you're going to want to sign up. Uh, great people there anyways. Honestly, look at other brokerages, talk to Oakwin, do your own research, but I'm telling you
1: uh, Oakland is, it's going to stand out, you know, and I would say, uh, further to that, uh, probably more important than the big surprise is even spending a little bit of time with Michael or Morgan or both of them, because, uh, you'll take a lot away from those conversations. Very, very bright people. So VRP 2020, head over to oakwin.com slash join and put that in and, uh, you won't be sorry.
2: Yeah. And without further ado, Matt, let's get to this conversation with Mark Goodman.
1: Adam, and last thing, we did we did do our uh, talk with Mark over Zoom. It's going to be on YouTube and on our website at com. Why that's important this time is he actually does have slides. Uh, he shares his screen with us and it's actually useful. So I think you can listen to this, no problem. If you want to see the slides, there's some graphs and uh, photos, head over to our website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, or YouTube, and it's Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. But yeah, let's get to our talk with Mark. Enjoy, guys.
2: Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Mark Goodman, principal at Goodman Commercial and co-publisher of the Goodman Report. How you doing, Mark? I'm very good, thank you.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much, Mark, for uh, taking the time in a weird turn of events. We're doing a weekend interview. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for eating up some of your
3: Sunday. That's okay. I, I don't have much going on Sundays.
2: Well, well th- if we make any references to geograph geographical points, um, fortunately we have a lot of maps in our collective background. <laughs> <in here. laughs> relates to your map.
3: This is uh Metro Vancouver, we've got some cool wallpaper we put up in our office. So uh, uh, I'm thinking of putting a pin on every time I do a sale, we could put the pin up there.
2: <laughs> right on. So, so Mark, can you maybe start to, a lot of our, our listeners are going to be familiar with you and, and definitely the Goodman Report, but can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself?
3: Yeah, um, I've been in this crazy business for uh, 18 years. I was born and raised in Vancouver um, I went to UBC I received a degree in psychology at UBC in 2000 and then uh, after UBC I, I worked on Howe Street uh, for a short period of time selling stock for an investor relations company then I tried my luck at software sales I, I sold the uh, uh, software uh, for dispatchers for taxicab companies and then um, I landed a great job at uh, the Jim Pattison trade group which was an export company and we bartered amongst companies uh, uh, within the Jim Pattison group and then in 2002 I joined my father David Goodman and we've been focusing on rental apartment building sales multifamily investments and development sites ever since and uh, Cynthia Jagger uh, joined us just over four years ago, a director. She was a formerly director of Altus Group, which is a national appraising firm. And um, her focus was multifamily and development sites and is now a full partner and publisher of the Goodman Report, my partner. And, um, you know, we had to make her partner right away. She's one of the most talented real estate practitioners in the industry and her brain is like a supercomputer so uh, you don't want to compete against her so we're very fortunate to have her at Goodman Commercial and uh, we now have 15,000 subscribers uh, to the Goodman Report. Uh, we had nearly 30,000 connections on LinkedIn and uh, uh, we, we do a lot of business. 2019 was a big year for us. We did f- over 400 million dollars in sales. I, I think we were the number one commercial real estate team in uh, that year so um yeah it's been a it's been a good ride
1: that's incredible a, a few things mark one is um did you ever meet jim Patterson when you worked
3: you know it's funny i never met the man uh he's quite the legend um uh, I was never
1: on the bottom of the sales uh, team where doesn't he clip the, the
3: couple of people that are not performing very well? Oh yeah. I mean, that was his business model back then. Uh, ruled with fear. Um, but uh, no, I, I've never met him and uh, I think he's still active. I think he's in his early nineties and, and still goes to work it, an amazing guy. Um, in in fact, um uh, I'm still in touch with some of my colleagues there uh, over twenty years later.
2: what What exactly did you do at uh, at the jim pattison group and and how did that kind of shape or or was that a catalyst to get into real estate?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I didn't really know what direction I wanted to to um, to go after university. I, I knew I wanted to do something to do with marketing and sales and business. Um, and I was fortunate to land a job with uh, a small company within a very large organization called the Jim Pattison Trade Group. And my role at the beginning, and it evolved over time, but my job was to barter uh, goods and services amongst the companies. So, for example, uh, I would be provided with a credit of Jim Pattison Outdoor Advertising Media, and I would trade that for uh, other goods and services for with another company within Gym Pass and Trade Group. And and we take a little bit off the top as profit. And um, and then things evolved. I started uh, getting creative and, and uh, for example, we would, uh, I cut a deal with Sony Canada. Um, we provided Sony a million dollars worth of advertising, whether it was the, the radio or the outdoor signage. In return, we got a million dollars wholesale worth of electronics, which, I would then sell overseas um, and it was challenging because I had to learn a new industry um, every week and uh, with the profit margins and the tough thing about electronics is is uh, after a year they become outdated so it was quite uh, an interesting experience working uh, there uh, one of my more memorable deals was buying um, Gillette goods, like the, the, the shaving blades, Mach 2 or Mach 3 at the time. This is in 2001. And we bought uh, all these goods from Mumbai, India, and moved it into Rotterdam, which was sort of a neutral place you could move goods and services that had few restrictions. And then from there, uh, moved it to Israel. And um, it, it was amazing. And, and in fact, little did I know, a year later, I'd be stuck in Rotterdam, not able to go back to Vancouver to work at Jim Pattison trade group. Uh, that, that was, um, sep- September 11th, 2001. While I was on vacation, uh, overseas. And uh, I can tell you the story is quite, a, quite amazing actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really?
2: well, yeah. Absolutely.
3: So I, I was traveling with my girlfriend at the time. Now my wife and we, I had worked at, uh, the, the, the company for almost nine months and um, we went on vacation. We went to travel throughout Turkey and, and throughout Egypt. And it was the morning of uh, September 11th, 2001. I was literally in front of the, the uh, pyramids uh, traveling on a camel. And uh, then we drove back to um, our hostel. We were staying and we um, went to the airport, uh, to the Schiffel Airport, Amsterdam. We flew there. Um, my wife had to continue, or my girlfriend at the time, continued on traveling to Italy and Greece, and I had to make my way back to Vancouver to continue working. And I remember waiting in line with my boarding pass to board the, the flight, and all these TVs were brought out. It was CNN, and uh, this big tower was on fire, and everyone was confused, and the loudspeaker was going off. And, and then I saw a plane, the second plane hit. The tower and uh there was just total chaos at the airport. So you know, we didn't get on our flight. Um I was stuck, uh you know, it's actually not a bad place to be stuck for a couple weeks. Uh but I was stuck in, in Amsterdam. Um and then what'd you do? You know, well, we spent some time at the coffee shops, what can I say? Uh, and then they uh it was overcrowded because you had thousands of people at the airport. So we got put on a bus and uh, we were, I think we went to Rotterdam, where I, I stayed in a refugee camp. Uh, like, you remember the old show MASH? It was like one of those big tents, but they were very nice. Uh, so I stayed there for two weeks until I could get back to Vancouver. So it was, it was interesting because I was moving all these goods and services to Rotterdam and never, like, envisioned what that city would look like, which is a really cool city. The architecture is amazing. And a year later, I was stuck in a refugee camp so um yeah when i when I came back to Vancouver finally, it was very hard to move goods across the border. Uh, there were some issues and and that's when uh, I decided to get into the real estate business
2: were you were you stuck with a lot of Mach twos when they already had moved on to Mach three or yeah. <laughs> get caught with yeah,
3: I was going to say that's got to be the hardest stuff to to keep up with. Really? Yeah, that's right. I think there's a mock five right now. <laughs> Is just,
1: just in thinking. So a lot of people, and I think Mark, I, I mentioned uh, a listener of ours who also subscribes to the Goodman report, reached out to us not long ago and said, Hey, you gotta have, you know, you gotta get Mark on, on the show. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how how the the report the actual report came came to be and yeah. and the role that that's played in your in your business kind of asking for a friend thinking about the part yeah
3: sure you know the the report started i guess my father started in the real estate business um back in the 70s um in vancouver uh but maybe i should rewind and go back a little bit more um he worked in Montreal in what we call the Shmata business. He worked in the retail business, fine suits and he worked uh, at the family business called Golden Sons. Uh, It was kind of like the Harry Rosen of today on St. Denis street or St. Catherine street, Montreal and selling suits. And um, actually an interesting story. They had the finest suits in Montreal, these beautiful cashmere suits. And there was a story when the mafia went and robbed a bank up the street and while the alarm bells were going off, they came in with boatloads of money and bought 20 cashmere suits and then ran off. And uh, I just remember hearing that story. Um, but, you know, things were tense in in Quebec at the time in the seventies. And so my parents uh, drove to Lotusland, Vancouver, uh, where he continued working in the clothing business and then finally decided he had enough and, and wanted to try his luck at real estate. So he, he became a residential realtor in the early seventies. Uh, he worked for a company called NRS Block Brothers, which was a major national firm at the time. And, and in 1979 became the top salesman across Canada. So uh, it was a, quite a rewarding career for him. And in the early days, you know, he would, he ran with this guy named Marty Mendel, who's since passed away, but uh, he was quite the entrepreneur developer and, and they would go down to Richmond um, with, you can imagine the car full of these big um, site plans that you would get from city hall showing that the city streets and the, and the sites, and they would look for homes that were um, improved on two lots or small homes that uh, were, were built on large lots where they saw either they could subdivide or build townhouses and they assembled entire city blocks. And so, they would literally like get out of the car and offer the, the homeowner cash and, and buy up these homes. And so he was called the King of, of Richmond at the time. And and then a few months later they would demolish all the homes and uh, Marty would build the the townhouses. And uh, I've, I've heard some funny stories on Sunday, you know, the Chinese community would come out after eating dim sum and you can imagine 20, 30, 40 buyers coming out to look at these townhouses and he was running from, across the street from home to home opening up because everyone had to use the washroom after eating dim sum for an hour. And, uh, it was crazy times, but (laughs) yeah, he would, he would sell a property a day. It, it was, uh, uh, quite a learning experience uh, for him, how he cut his teeth and, and, uh, and then he broke into Shaughnessy, um, which was really the old boys club. And, and, you know, how does a young rookie realtor break into the most prestigious neighborhood in 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 the city if not western canada and uh what he did is he wrote a newsletter Uh, he knocked on doors he introduced himself and he would slip newsletters to the door it wasn't called the goodman report back then it was just an information source um you know back then things were simpler uh you know people made fun of him he always had 20 dimes in his pocket because uh that's what it cost to call in to the switchboard from a public telephone. He knew every public telephone in the city. There was no fax, there was no internet, there was no email, no pagers, there was nothing. And uh, you, know, you can imagine they were cutting deals on carbon paper on the back of a hood of a car. And that's how they were doing business back then. So he broke into the Shaughnessy market and uh, continues his success writing, but he got tired of the grind. Uh, As you know, as a residential realtor, you're on 24-7, and he was working evenings and weekends, and he had a desire to get more into the business world of things, and um, I think one of the catalysts is he met a guy named Nelson Scalbania in 1978, the famous real estate mogul, and uh, Nelson showed up in a fancy Rolls Royce in his late 30s or early 40s and bought cash in an apartment building, and that sort of moved uh, my father into another direction um into the apartment world but um there was no information source back then remember there was no central place to get information so he started uh the goodman report newsletter and back then it was a very simple way of communicating with apartment owners and other investors and um it's evolved ever since then, you know, and, and as a kid, I, you know, I started in the business when I was just a kid, I was five, six years old. We would sit around the dining room table and stuff the Goodman report into envelopes, you know, with my mother and my brother and my grandparents and, and the cleaning lady, my mother would make really strong coffee to keep us going. And, and, and there (laughs) my father was uh, uh, writing little notes to all the apartment owners. And, and it's that, It's that philosophy uh, that we carry on that tradition today. I can't write handwritten notes to every apartment owner. We just simply don't have time. We've grown, but um, you know, we had very humble beginnings. Right. And the report has, uh, has not only survived, but I guess flourished. Yeah, we have, you know, it's, it's unruly at times. Um, If we hit the market, right, we can get a hundred phone calls in an hour. Uh, We have, 15,000 subscribers. It's evolved uh, to our Facebook page. We have almost 30,000 connections on LinkedIn and uh, we're well-read. So, uh, you know, it, it, as you guys know, um, you have a large following. It's hard to balance, you know, actually doing sales and communicating with your stakeholders, but um, it's it's very rewarding and um, we've had a really good ride uh, over the last 18 years and what I like about our industry, it's every day it's new, different clients, different problems, different product, and uh, it, it's, it's quite rewarding um, putting deals together, as you guys know. Um, you know, I remember my first day, almost 18 years ago, I started at McDonald Realty and, and my father invited me in and he said, here's your office and here's your chair and here's your phone. And I think I just finished my pre-licensing course. I don't know how it works today, but back then you had to do a pre-licensing and then you have a post-licensing where you have to finish it. And uh, so I I didn't even have my full license yet. Didn't know what a cap rate was. Barely knew what I was doing. I was green. And he says, okay, your first task is uh, I want you to call this guy. He's a competitor of ours. His name is John G and he works at Collier's International. And I said, okay, and and he said, I want you to call him and ask him for an information package on this property. So so my first call, I've been in the business for three minutes, I've been shown my office, shown my phone, I pick it up, I call, I answer and I say, uh, hello, this is Mark Goodman calling from McDonald Commercial Real Estate Services Limited. I'm calling on behalf of David Goodman and I'm wondering if you could send me a financial package on this such and such property. And he says to me, uh, hello, Mark Goodman of McDonald commercial real estate services limited calling on behalf of David Goodman. He said, there's only one problem Mark. And I said, well, what's that? He says, "You didn't ask me if I was cooperating and I didn't know what he meant. What does he mean by cooperating? So I asked him, I said, well, are you cooperating? And he said, no, click. And he hung up on me. So that was my first five minutes, uh, in the industry. And it taught me a lot that, uh, you know, you're not, no one's going to give you anything. You got to work hard for it. And it's a very competitive market, particularly the multifamily market. It's a very small space for many years. It's the same characters uh, in our space, brokering deals.
1: And Mark, just for the listeners at home, uh,
3: cooperating uh, in this situation refers to. Yeah. So, so what they mean is cooperating means, uh, are you providing a fee? Are you are you are you sharing your fee with me? So in the residential market, which primarily uses the MLS system, there is a fee of which a portion of it goes to the buyer's agent. So the buyer knows they're going to get a paid a fee, whatever is published online. Uh, in the commercial sector, for the most part, the seller pays their agent the fee, and the buyer often, more often than not, is not represented because it's a very sophisticated type of asset class, and if they need representation they'll hire a lawyer but for those that want to hire a realtor to represent them um, they will typically pay their agent and the seller will pay their agent so we're both receiving our fees from our respective clients um, but it means a little bit more in commercial because often in some cases commercial agents simply won't cooperate forget about fees they just won't answer your calls they won't give you information they won't let you on the property that's not our philosophy. Uh, when an agent calls me and asks if we're cooperating, I say, yes, we're very cooperative, but you'll have to collect your fee from your client. A little different, a little different culture.
2: I'm just different. I'm just uh, thinking out loud here, Mark, but um, can you talk maybe like, I'd love to hear more about uh, the multifamily market in Vancouver, of course. Um, But just before we get to that and thinking of the MLS system. So there is a commercial MLS Um, The product that you're dealing with, though, is is likely not advertised on on the commercial
3: MLS system. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, I would say over 80 percent of the trades that happen throughout Metro Vancouver are not done on the MLS system. Um, It's just not geared toward our market. Uh, There's there's a few challenges uh, with with the residential with the MLS system. For example, if you list on the MLS, the bylaws require you to show the property within one week of an inquiry from a licensed agent. Um, Well, we can't always do that because they're tenanted and there's a lot of logistics getting permission and written permission and giving notice. And it's quite disruptive. So typically my job is to, is to qualify the buyer and and only then if we feel that it's a fit, will we take that next step and show the property. So that's number one, the bylaws simply don't work for our industry. Um, And number two, you need to have a price published on the MLS system. And often with our market, we don't have a firm price. Sometimes it's an open bid, unpriced system of selling real estate. Uh, it depends on the timing and, and the type of asset that you're selling. Um, and I was a director of the real estate board for a couple of years, and we, developed, we helped develop a new system where you could share and cooperate with your fellow colleagues uh, in the real estate industry, but that, what, that was not on the MLS system. And so that was the commercial broadcast system, which I helped develop, which there's thousands of subscribers who are residential realtors and commercial realtors that want access to the marketplace um, who have clients that they work with and and have agency agreements with their, uh, with their clients, their buyers. And so, um, and now there's a new system called, uh, I think it's called um, commercial first at the real estate board as well which is uh, sort of a parallel system to the MLS system, which allows agents to create their own marketing packages and not use the preset fields that uh, the MLS system uses. So it's just a different way of doing business. And uh, as time has gone on over the last 18 years, the MLS system has become less uh, prominent in the commercial real estate world because of um, the new systems that are in place now.
2: So so how does like a a Nelson Scalbania coming to Vancouver – how does he even get started?
1: Call
3: Mark. Uh, uh, well, I mean... <laughs>
2: calling an agent, I guess.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, uh, if you want to get started in the in the real estate business, um, sometimes a lot of uh, uh, investors that we meet have, have inherited uh, their family's portfolio. Maybe they started with a fourplex or a sixplex, and over time they've, they've uh, reinvested uh, or they've refinanced and moved into larger properties Other times they can be professionals, doctors, dentists, lawyers, accountants who, you know, want passive income, something that they can put away. uh, And um, often they'll hire a professional property manager to take care of it because they have busy lives. They're professionals. Others are entrepreneurs, uh, younger groups that, you know, have trades. I mean, you have to wear many hats in the multifamily business because the average age is 50, 60 years old. These buildings need constant work. Repairs and maintenance are an issue, so I see a lot of the entrepreneurs coming in have some background in trade and construction to keep up with uh, these aging buildings.
1: Maybe kind of shifting gears a little bit. I, you already mentioned uh, it's a, it's a small marketplace, but can you can you speak a little bit more about uh, the multifamily market here in Vancouver?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know what I could do is uh, perhaps share my screen with you now. And and I have a few charts that I think would illustrate high level our market. So let me let me give this a go and see if this works.
2: And, and this for the okay? listeners uh, for the listeners on the podcast, we'll we'll try and be very clear about what we're looking at here. But of course, this is uh, available on our YouTube channel, Vancouver Real
1: Estate Podcast, as well. And and over at our website, right? Vancouver yes. Real Estate Podcast.
3: Yeah. So um, these are just some Metro Vancouver multifamily facts just to to, uh, start at a higher level and and explain to people how big our market is. Um, We're actually quite a small market compared to other cities in in Canada. Uh, There are only 3,300 purpose-built rental apartment buildings. So the majority, 90%, are those three-storey walk-up wood frame buildings that average 60 years in age Uh, and of those 3,300 now and 10% are are concrete high rises. And then there's some strata titled buildings um, thrown in there uh, owned by one owner. And of those 3,300 buildings, roughly 2,200 people own those 3,300 buildings. So some uh, companies like Hollyburn, for example, own 50 or 60 buildings in, in the city of Vancouver. So, and then some are just mom and pops that uh, you know came here from Europe in the '60s and and built uh, and built the building and it's been their their nest egg ever since. So there's really only 2,200 purpose built rental apartment building owners in all of Metro Vancouver, and that's that's from Vancouver, Burnaby, uh, New Westminster, Coquitlam, and and other uh, tri city areas. So and in terms of Cap rate yield, this is the return on investment, uh, you know, in in early 2018, right up to say, uh, early 2019 we saw cap rates hovering in, in the low 2% range for wood frame buildings. And, uh, it's moved up toward 3% uh, in the last six months. And that's, that's due to a lot of, uh, changes within the government and, uh, I'm trying to, I guess, cool down the market with a lot of uh, uh, demand side uh, measures, um, tax initiatives that the NDP governments put through. But the average cap rate in 2019 was 3.12. So it's actually gone up. Um, The average vacancy rate uh, was 1.1% in 2019. Uh, Volume had dropped substantially uh, in 2019 compared to a year earlier. There was only $1.1 billion in sales. There were only 77 transactions uh, completed last year. I think that was down like 60% from the year earlier. Um, And so those are the the high-level numbers uh, that people who aren't familiar with the multifamily market should know
1: so so mark a few things about that one is is that um as listeners of the of the show or or people that follow the residential market know in 2018 it was kind of this a lot of the policy measures you're talking about but then the stress test came in in 2018 we saw a real cool down in the last half of that year through 2019 um uh, as well and then it started picking up and and then now we're at the kind of COVID freeze, I guess. Um, In the multifamily or purpose-built rental market, are are you seeing kind of the same trajectory? Does it follow residential? Um, And it seems like there's better value now, as I understand, than than there was, say, a year or two ago.
3: Yeah. Uh, Well, you are right. I mean, uh, there are some parallels between the residential uh, market and the commercial multifamily market. But they're not always in tandem. But generally speaking, when the residential market's hot, and a lot, a lot of time it's fueled by cheap money, and of course, a lot of people moving to BC and Vancouver every year. Um, yes, uh, often we do fall. Um, are, we're, we do have a parallel between us, but um, there's also many different things at stake in the multifamily market, which particularly affected us over the last year and a half. Um, And I actually have some notes here because there's been so many government initiatives and tax, uh, new taxes, that it's hard to actually keep up. So I'm going to read a few of the things that have happened. So in late in 2018 and 2019, we saw rent increases capped at inflation. Uh, There's tougher rules for tenant uh, relocation, threats of vacancy control end to fixed term tenancies and geographic rent increases. And then on the demand side, uh, government interventions, we saw an increase in property tax to 5% for properties over $3 million. Uh, foreign buyers tax was raised to 20%. We have rental-only zoning used to downzone properties in some municipalities. And we've had the addition of the school and speculation tax uh, to development land. So all of this combined together really... Um, Uh, affected the market, affected the residential, the the multifamily market in particular. You know, we have an affordability problem in the city. It's a very politically charged environment. Um, And it's sad that, in my opinion, all these government initiatives uh, to, to, I guess, make housing more affordable has actually done the opposite. Because what it's done is it's discouraged developers from building rentals. It's just a nightmare to try to develop uh, purpose-built rental stock for a variety of reasons and uh, year over year uh, vacancy rates continue to go down and uh, and rental rates continue to go up these policies that you put in place really frustrate the free market allowing for the rejuvenation of older buildings allowing for new supply to come on stream and these buildings are 60 years old a lot of them are falling apart and it's a challenge so we have a demand supply imbalance that's not going anywhere and so That's why, in a way, uh, the multifamily market, in in my opinion, will continue to go up in value for years to come because there's just simply not enough supply to house all these people moving here. So so as a result, rental rates will continue to go up. Um, What I have here for your audience is uh, I'll show you a couple charts. You can see here's a 10-year snapshot of Metro Vancouver's rental apartment market starting in 2010. So in 2010, for example, we had 90 trades, $432 million in volume. And then we could fast forward to, say, 2014, the market really picked up. We had uh, a year that year $778 million in sales, 123 transactions. And then uh, 2015, 2016, things really started to move. Uh, and then in 2017, it was a, a big year. Almost $2.2 billion in sales, 150 transactions. And then in 2018, things just exploded. Uh, almost $3 billion in sales, 155 transactions. So that was 2018. Then the NDP government came into power, put all these uh, ineffective policies in place, and the market dropped like a tank. Uh, it just just dropped, uh, $1.1 billion in, in, in volume, 77 sales. So the market came off, um, 50 to 60% on transaction and dollar volume, but it hasn't made our city more affordable. In fact, it's made everything more expensive because there's nowhere to live. There's no incentive for developers to build buildings. So it's been a challenge and, uh, Now with COVID-19, we have some other challenges um, to transact properties, but uh, believe it or not, we've actually been very busy during this time. We've put like, uh, we've put three buildings under contract, one apartment building and two development sites. We've had one closing. We have another closing coming up and we're listing a a 1.6 acre industrial site uh, in a couple weeks. So um, it's just, it's harder to, to, to show buildings because we can't get into the tenanted suites, but we're just delaying our due diligence periods and allowing for the moment physical distancing is relaxed. Hopefully uh, we'll be able to move forward again, but the the demand is still there in our market. It, it, it truly is. And uh, we're busy despite this.
1: Well, so I'm kind of curious, looking back at 2010 or even up till now, or even from say when you started, you've been in the business 18 years. Um, a lot of people listening are probably, uh, thinking about, you know, who, who, who's the person who buys beach towers, right? You guys just, you sold towers right. right. Uh, not all that long ago, but not spe- necessarily specifically beach towers, but where are these, buy- where are the buyers of, of purpose built rental coming from? Uh, are they primarily local? Or are they primarily from other places in Canada? Are they individuals? Or are they companies? Can you speak about the buyers? And then, um, I think some of our listeners would really be interested in kind of a, you know, an investment analysis, how, how, how values established, you know, the kind of for dummies version of how purpose built rental
3: value is established. Sure. Um, now I'm trying to, un yeah you know, let me unshare for a moment and get back and then I can go back and answer your second part of the question. Um, so you talked about, uh, you know, who would buy beach towers, uh, So we sold um, Beach Towers back in Q1, 2019. Uh, We were unable to release, uh, announce the sale until the restrictions had been lifted a year later. But uh, originally we were bringing offers to the ownership group uh, that were off market. And um, at that time they were entertaining offers, um, but for various reasons decided not to engage or sell uh, those offers that we brought. And, And then they invited us to actually assist them in brokering a deal between the partners. So ultimately um, one, one of the owners, one of the ownership groups bought out the balance of the ownership groups to take control, 100% control. So that's how the deal ended up happening. It was a share purchase. And uh, the buildings originally were built by Arthur Block of uh, Block Brothers. And uh, one of the, the Wask Morris Wask bought the property many many years ago and then they bought the land uh, it was leased land and I think back then it was uh, I think the the entire property was purchased for thirty million dollars about uh, fifty thousand dollars a door and uh, and then it sold for the equivalent the hundred percent equivalent of three hundred and five million dollars yeah.
1: On a better turn, is are most of the are most of the the people bringing offers on you guys' properties? Are they are they primarily from Canada, or, or-
3: yeah, yeah, they're mostly local. I mean, even before the foreign buyers tax was introduced, um, there weren't a lot of offshore buyers uh, or foreign buyers. Um, I know it was big news in the media that foreigners are buying up real estate and making it unaffordable for Vancouverites. And while that may be true, um, in the multifamily market, there were very few um, offshore buyers. And and we did a survey. We went back to, I think, our last 200 transactions. There were only two foreign buyers. One was an Austrian guy, a hedge fund manager who bought a property from us, and another uh, person from Shanghai. Out of 200 properties, those were the only two foreigners. So... I think a lot of offshore money was coming into the land and the development site scene, but not so much in the multifamily scene. And now with the foreign buyers tax uh, it's all local and uh, well, Canadian for the most part. Um, so there's a, there's, there are local buyers, there's family based operators, there's mom and pop, there's professionals like dentists and lawyers who, who buy property uh, is to balance their portfolio. And there's a lot of institutional pension funds and REITs, particularly out of Toronto. Um, I was in Toronto uh, showcasing some newer listings. I, I flew there. Uh, Cynthia and I went and we we met with six or seven of the major guys out of Toronto and, and met them at their office. And actually COVID had just started. So, I mean, we were still social distancing. It, it was kind of a weird, like we were in, no man's land, we weren't quite sure. You know, some people were still shaking hands, others we were keeping our distance because Toronto was a couple weeks ahead of us. And anyway, uh, the the demand for multifamily is huge. And a lot of the Eastern-based companies really want to continue either make their first uh, venture into BC or continue growing their portfolio. And uh, we're seen as a very attractive place to put money. Um, yeah, you, now you asked me a second question about sort of like, what are the establishing value? Yeah. 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 um, You've you've talked a little bit
1: about, um, yeah, you've talked a little bit about it, but yeah, if you could expand, I think.
3: Yeah, sure. So, uh, this is a chart that we publish. Um, and it, it's really, it starts back in 2008 and it goes right to 2019 and it shows what we call cap rate or capitalization rate which is really the return or the yield that an investor can, can expect um, buying a building. And it's, it's really, um, it's a simple methodology. You take the, the gross revenue, which would be your, your rental income and perhaps some laundry income and, and parking income um, and minus the expenses that uh, you need to operate a building. So tax insurance, utilities, you'll have a, a repairs and maintenance uh, budget Uh, you'll put in a a nominal vacancy rate of say half a percent in the city of Vancouver. And, and at the end, you're left with uh, your profit, your, your net operating income. And it's that number divided into the ask price or the sale price, which gives you your return, your yield. And, and this number is before debt service. So it doesn't include mortgage payments or depreciation or anything like that. And historically, like when I joined the business 18 years ago, Cap rates were six to six and a half in the city of Vancouver. Prime Westside real estate was selling at $80,000 a door. Expense ratio was about 33% of gross revenue. Uh, And obviously that's changed now, where in 2018, for example, uh, 2017, 2018, the market was hot. I mean, we were selling prime Westside wood frame apartment buildings for anywhere from five hundred and fifty dollars up to $700,000 a unit in some cases. And, and, you know, that was for average condition buildings right up to totally renovated buildings. Uh, and the cap rates um, hovered, you know, we were doing deals even at one8 1.9% cap, but generally speaking, most of these wood frame buildings were trading in, in the low two cap rate range. And, and it, it begged the question, like, why would people, why would people put, down to buy an apartment building, because that's what it takes to receive such a a low yield. And a lot of these investors, you know, have different criteria. A lot of it's just safety and appreciation and, and to diversify their portfolio. But there are a lot of entrepreneurs that uh, knew that they needed to rejuvenate these buildings, 50, 60 year old buildings with chronic plumbing issues and water ingress issues and environmental problems and, You know, they have green stoves and yellow tubs and appliances that don't function. And so many of these investors were uh, renovating the suites. And so that cap rate, that 2.2, 2.3% yield could literally uh, within a few months uh, double. And so in some cases, a lot of these legacy tenants who were in the building or or when a tenant would move out, if they were paying seven or eight hundred dollars a month, the On turnover with, say, a $30,000 renovation to the suite, uh, you could get $2,200 a month. So we're talking over a 100% jump in in rental income. And so that's why, during this time, a lot of these buildings were trading at such a low yield. Um, And now that's more challenging because the provincial government has put in place uh, many restrictions that um, have stopped this um, uh, renovation program for buildings, and which resulted in evictions, of course, and um, and so now we have rental stock that um, is having a hard time being rejuvenated, and 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 uh, which causes its own problems. Um, now, in the same token, we're having a renaissance in Metro Vancouver with new purpose-built buildings. So finally, the sun, the moon, the stars have all aligned to make an environment almost um, uh, beneficial to the production of new rental housing and it's taken a long time and advocacy to get to this point Um, we still have a lot of challenges with you know long uh, periods of time for for rezoning and uh, and and just the process to go through with the city to get your development permit it can be quite laborious but um, Those buildings um, that are brand new that we're selling are either there is a forward sale, like a pre-construction offering. So we're selling the property before it's even built or new purpose built product that has been built typically are trading at a much higher cap rate. And for a lot of people that's counterintuitive, they said, well, why, why are we, why are we um, needing to have such a high yield for a new building? Shouldn't it be a lower yield? Cause it's lower risk. It's new. There's less problems, but The reality is that those buildings are rented at market. There's no upward movement um, to increase your revenue over time, at least not not in the immediate future. So that lift has already been built into the offering. So uh, if an old wood frame building was trading at, say, $300,000 a unit at a 2.2 yield, a brand new building with all the fancy amenities and dishwasher and in-suite laundry, those rents would be trading at closer to $4 a square foot. Uh, They would be in many cases double what an old rental building would be. And in return, the investor is paying $600,000 a unit or $550,000 a unit, but in return we'll expect and require a much higher yield. And so it's almost like we have, two different asset classes. We have the 56 year old uh, aged buildings, which are inefficient, that require a lot of attention and and, uh, upgrades. And then we have this new purpose-built phenomenon uh, as well happening. And unfortunately it's not happening fast enough. Uh, And so for the foreseeable future, apartment buildings are gonna be, continue to be a very safe asset class to invest in because there's virtually not enough supply. And, uh, everybody needs a place to live. And, you know, until people stop moving to Vancouver and wanting to do business here and live here, I think uh, we're going to be safe for a long time to come.
2: Mark, Mark, maybe thinking about that, like right now. So, uh, in thinking of the multifamily market in Vancouver, is it, is it unique to the rest of Canada?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think in Montreal they have 10 times or in Toronto they have 10 times the product. Um, Every province has different rules and regulations with respect to their tenancy acts. Um, But I think what makes us unique is, is it's generally, it's a smaller market and, and it's a highly politicized asset class. Um, And we, the, the, the land use policies that we have in place in many cases, um, discourage redevelopment. And I, and I can't speak to other cities and other provinces because, you know, I don't trade in those markets. But one of the things that makes Vancouver unique is we have effectively what's called, it's a moratorium on the demolition of apartment buildings. And, and it started in the West End, I think 15 years ago or so as a way to retain purpose-built rental stock, So it wasn't demolished for condos. I mean, the intentions were good, And then about 10 years ago, they implemented it in Vancouver and it was supposed to be a two-year pilot project. But of course, you know, it stayed. And and what that means is we have a lot of RM zone land throughout Vancouver, uh, you know, in Fairview, South Granville neighbourhoods, in Kitsilano, uh, Marpole, and so forth. And, And those rental buildings are all built in what we call RM zone land, residential multifamily land. So the city has basically said that Uh, you can't demolish these apartment buildings um, at all. It's just just a freeze. And so, um, unfortunately, um, that prohibits uh, the rejuvenation of these buildings and and building bigger buildings and building newer supply. Um, And so there's this tug-of-war between, you know, um, wanting to make sure that uh, Vancouverites aren't displaced. And you can imagine a lot of them have been living in relatively affordable housing compared to the market today. And uh, if they were evicted because of a demolition and a rebuild, many of them would have a hard time finding a place to live in their same neighborhood. And so that's the inherent challenge. So The city has frozen that rental stock, but there's been a ton of side effects. Um, And one of them is it's restricted supply. And, and so uh, yes, they're saving a few people and, and keeping their rents affordable, but in return, it's making it unaffordable for everybody else because there's something's got to give and there's just not enough places to live. Nobody can demolish these buildings. So, you know, the city has started various programs, rental, rental 100, the Merck program where you can redevelop um, purpose-built rental buildings in areas outside the RM zoned. Uh, for example, on arterial routes or single family zoning, they have new initiatives in place to build four to six story rental buildings, but you know, it's a complicated process and uh, it takes time. So our city is struggling, and I think that's what makes us unique: is that we have a philosophy at City Hall uh, that focuses, and our province that focuses on measures to create affordability on the demand side of the equation. and And I think that this has caused more problems and and made our city more unaffordable. I think what the city should do is create incentives to build rental housing and allow the free market to build, allow developers to compete and landlords to compete against each other. And I mean, look at what happened in Seattle. It's just amazing. They, they've they cut the red tape. They don't micromanage developers uh, to build and, and they've expedited the whole process. And as a result, uh, very soon after, rental rates started to come down and vacancy rates started to come up and they have a healthy – market. Um, but unfortunately, our city politicians, it's very politically expedient to to uh, wave the flag and say, we're protecting you renters, and we're doing everything in your best interest. But the problem is, it's causing uh, the side effect is much worse. And um, as you can see, I have a chart in front of you. Case in point, 2010, the average monthly rental rate was $995. And we had a 1.9% vacancy rate. Well, go to 2015, the vacancy rate dropped to 0.8 and rents jumped to over $1,100. And now in 2019, rents are almost at uh, $1,500 per month and vacancy rates are still hovering around 1%. So despite all these initiatives that the city claims to be putting forward to help renters and and help create affordability has done the absolute opposite. And and that's really what the Goodman Report why we're here is we're reporting on this and we don't we, we focus on the numbers. We're very data driven. And so we track every single sale metro Vancouver. We track rental rates, cap rates, uh dollar volume, and uh you know we've been we've been critical of the policies that have been put forth and we think, we hope that after uh, this COVID era, and uh, we get back to uh, a normal working environment, that that the city will um, change course and start um, creating incentives and creating an environment uh, for developers to build rental properties faster. And I think that's the key.
1: And for those people who are not looking at the at the chart, one point nine percent vacancy in two thousand ten was the highest vacancy. Uh, that Vancouver has had since right, like it's been lower since uh, 2010 across the board. It was 1.9 percent was the highest. Um, yeah. and that actually makes me think. You know, we've talked. We had Klaus Road, who's a property manager we work with, and he he you know he helps people that are renting out strata properties. Um, you're on the multifamily side of thing. We we asked Klaus what he was seeing in relation to COVID so far. Um, I'm curious, Mark, just in your kind of day-to-day going on right now, what the impact of COVID has been on, not only on on how you're selling properties, but more on on the market. And it sounds like you're saying there's still a lot of confidence, but has COVID impacted the ability to collect the rents? And what are you seeing on the ground there?
3: Yeah, good question. And it's changing daily. Um, So... Um, I think we've been in this environment for about six weeks now, it feels like, give or take. And um, I would say that overall, in this six-week period, certainly it's been a lot more challenging as a broker to, to function. Uh, but we've adapted very quickly. Um, you know, we're all set up on Zoom and Skype. Um, I didn't really use any of those programs before. We're fully digital with AuthenticSign, dealing with offers. Um, you know, our marketing department we're working remotely with. And and so as a real estate company, we're functioning. Um, I would say that the hardest part for us being in the rental housing uh, business and selling rental housing is that we cannot enter into suites right now. So um, we're basically, we are doing transactions. Uh, the ones that, uh, like, for example, we put an apartment building under contract with a public company, uh, three weeks ago when COVID was quite prevalent and um, they're doing their due diligence, uh, but we've extended the timeline for building inspection uh, for a couple months uh, to allow time and hopefully we'll be able to enter suites at that time. So it's not that there's a lack of demand, it's just the mechanics of selling a property are much more difficult now for apartment buildings. However, um, we just sold or we put under contract a strata building Uh, in Caresdale, a small building, Um, we were able to show those suites because they're owner-occupied. So so the way we did it was that we had uh, face masks and gloves that we were wearing, and we had eight groups. It was not an open house. It was an organized um, time slot, and we had the the doors open. The owner stepped out. Um, They weren't allowed to touch anything. They had to wear face masks and gloves one group at a time, And when they left, um, I had information packages lying on the front lawn that they could pick up. And um, that's how we did it. And it worked out. And everybody was very respectful. Um, Everybody's a lot more patient, I find, uh, sellers and buyers, generally speaking, because everybody's in the same boat. And so now we have it under contract, and it's just subject to financing. The appraiser called me. He can't get into the building, so I sent him pictures that I had taken because I went through the building pre-COVID so um, yeah we're we're doing deals i mean i could i could show you a few of the transactions that we've we're doing or have done uh, during the covid period so for example um i'll showcase this property uh that polygon homes they're one of the larger uh i think the largest home builder in western canada and this is a 75 suite uh, purpose-built rental building just finishing construction in Lynn Valley. Uh, we're asking $50 million. We've had a great response despite COVID. We were touring the building pre-COVID uh, with a hard hat tour. Um, so we're, we're dealing with multiple offers right now on the property. And uh, we expect the occupancy permit to come in uh, May 2020. Um, there's a mix of um, one bedrooms, two bedrooms, and three bedrooms. Almost 63,000 net rentable square feet, uh, five and six-story property. And uh, you can expect around a 4% cap rate for this property. You said multiple offers on this property. That's right. And when did you guys bring it to market? We brought it to market, I would say, about two months ago. Probably about two weeks before covid Hit. And we we actually flew to Toronto to introduce this property to a number of the major pension funds and REITs and, and, uh, they're all excited about it. So, um, you know, just the due diligence process now is just going to take longer. Uh, and that's the reality. Um, but the demand is still there. Uh, the banks are still functioning. Uh, the land title office is still functioning. Um, so all the elements like the supply demand imbalance that we have in rental housing is so pronounced that, um, I just see this as a, as a, as a really bad snowstorm right now. That's going to pass because all the fundamentals are there for a healthy real estate sector. And I know there's a lot of people hoping that things will crash um, and that affordability will come back. And, but I truly believe that um, we are going to come back uh, very healthy from this. Um, And, and that's just from my own listings. Like, Here's another property that we put under contract three weeks ago during COVID. Uh, this is a public company that's tied it up. This was an interesting deal. Uh, this was unpriced uh, property, and this goes to your question about how we value buildings. And I think this is a really good example. So normally when we value buildings, we look at what the yield uh, cap rate should be and what the uh, uh, using the income approach versus uh, – the direct comparable approach where we look at uh, the price per unit. Um, And, you know, not all units are the same. You have some buildings may have a high percentage of bachelor units, which are typically smaller. Another building will have a high percentage of two bedrooms, which are typically larger. So the price per unit, it's a very general guide. Uh, There are appraisal techniques where we use what's called room weight, where we adjust the units per room so we can compare apples to apples. But generally speaking, we use, price per unit. For larger concrete uh, towers, we we try to use price per square foot, which is a a more exact way of valuing. Um, And we also use the gross rent multiplier, GRM, which is how many times, how many multiples of the um, annual gross rent divided into the ask price. And so that is a way of valuing properties, but not looking at the expenses. Cap rate takes into account the expenses. So um, looking at this building, uh, large, almost 29,000 square foot property just off Main um, on East 14th, amazing rental location, big building, 54 units, built in 66. And uh, the rents, though, are, are averaging around $700 uh, a month, which is, you know, 125, 150% below market. And so... How do I value the building? If I used a cap rate, a yield, and say capped it at a 3% cap, which is generally where wood frame older uh, west side and east side buildings are trading at, the price per unit would be ridiculous. It would be like under $200,000 a door. Well, we know that in generally this hot location in Mount Pleasant, buildings have generally been trading at around $350,000 a door. But if I price it at $350,000 a door, the cap rate would be like 1%. It doesn't work. So I can't use the income approach because the property would be valued too low. And I can't use the comparable approach because it'll just be too high and the yield will be too low. So how do you price it? And I told my client, I said, I don't know. I just simply don't know how to price it. Let's go out unpriced priced and let's see what happens. And that's exactly what we did. And uh, we've got it under contract now. So uh, that's just an example of how the the income approach using cap rate and the direct comparable approach don't always jive. And you'll notice when you're looking on an appraisal, a commercial appraisal, uh, they may look at the cost approach. They may give you a residual for development, and then they'll look at the direct comparison approach, uh, or cap rate, and or a comparable approach, and. Generally speaking, those different prices will come in around the same range. They'll come in at a tight range. But you have a problem as a broker or an appraiser when you're trying to price properties when there's like a $6 million swing between the two approaches that you use. It's a problem. Right. And, and it's a problem in Vancouver because there's a lot of uh, buildings that are, that are not efficient and they're operating at rental rates from 25 years ago.
2: Well, Adam,
1: Adam, what do you think? Should we do the five wire?
2: Yeah, I, maybe we'll leave it there. But yeah, Mark, do you have time for the five wire? Five lighthearted questions. Sure. Vancouver and it. So uh, question number one is what is your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver?
3: Uh, I mean, I'm partial to the Fairview South Granville neighborhood. Um, I I lived there for many years. i was a renter there and i, I just love the neighborhood and i'm also partial to douglas park neighborhood where i live uh you know there's there's a lot of good energy a lot of nice shops and 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 uh, great community right on
1: F- favorite bar or restaurant mark uh
3: i was a frequent visitor to west on south granville um my wife and i love the bartender there so we'd go to the to the sit actually at the bar and he'd make us fancy drinks unfortunately West closed um, even before COVID, but uh, I have I have a feeling I know where the bartender's gone, so I'll be following him. <laughs> uh, I really like West, but I, I found a new haunt now um, called Published on Maine, which has these really cool appies and a uh, good environment, and uh, the moment we can get back to eating, I'm, I'm going to hit up Published and and my usual spot at Earl's and Cactus Club here near my office in South Granville. <laughs>
2: Um, What is one book that you would recommend our listeners read?
3: Um, I recently read a book called Rise Up and Kill First. And uh, it's an amazing book written by Ronan Bergman. Um, And really, it's the history of the foundation of the state of Israel, starting as early as, as the early 1900s, right up to our modern time. And and it's the history seen through the lens of the Israeli secret service, the Mossad. And it asks this question. It doesn't answer the question for you, but it it asks the question, is it morally right to uh, Israel's execution policy uh, to kill the bad guys, the terrorists, the enemy? Uh, Or or would it be better to have conventional wars where you risk thousands of troops and and bombs and people being killed on both sides, innocent people being killed? killed on both sides or do you break the law and take out the bad guy uh, cut the head off the snake and um there was pros and cons to this uh story over the years but what was amazing are the techniques that the israelis had to use to defeat the enemy who were much more powerful than they were uh very much uh david and the goliath story and those movies we see today you know those movies, whether it's Born Identity or James Bond and all these crazy psychological techniques or tools that they use and tradecraft were truly were invented by uh the Mossad over the years. And I must admit that I, I got a few ideas from my own business to take up the competition. Um, so so for any of you young brokers out there, if you want to learn some interesting techniques and tactics, for, for defeating the enemy, uh, read rise and kill first. I highly recommend it.
1: (laughs) That's a unique one.
3: (laughs) Oh, but you know what? To balance that, I also, I think everybody needs a little Eckhart Tolle in their life. Uh, uh, he's, he's the self-actualized guy. He's like Buddha, like the Dalai Lama. And, and he, he talks about, um, you know, living in the present and, uh, and living in the now. And I have to admit that, you know, at times the real estate business can get a little frustrating and a little stressful. And I find that uh, it kind of balances you out. Uh, So I would certainly recommend uh, for people who want a little peace in their life, um, check him out. It's a way to balance the first book, maybe read both at the same time. You gotta watch
2: your breath in between kills.
3: That's right. <laughs>
2: um, and the, and the last, well, actually we got, we got two more questions for you. One piece of advice that you would give your 18 year old self.
3: Um, probably to stay away from smoking cigarettes. Uh, that was just awful. And, um, I, I there's, it's less prevalent today, but I, I would say, yeah, stay away from smoking. I, I struggled with it through high school and university and I'm, I'm glad I kicked the habit. I'm healthy. But if I could go back in time, it would probably be that. Good, good piece of advice. And
1: last, something you have purchased for under $1,000 that has changed your life or, or slightly improved it.
3: <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, I don't think I've pur- purchased anything. I'd have to get back to you on that one. I'll tell you what's changed my life, though, is the Skip the Dishes app uh and and uh, uber eats um and the other one uh there's oh, one yeah. more. i i don't think i'd ever need to cook again i mean they they know me by name now at earls it's it's amazing so uh, there's a a good life hack for you <laughs>
1: hey, I one thing I, I, I was just thinking when you, we started the the show as a final question i don't know you might not want to say anything but uh and and naming names that type of thing but it's a really small market that you work in. Uh, really big numbers. You must meet some really big personalities. Is there any one story you can think of, either a crazy, uh, crazy purchase and sale, or the or one personality that stands out in, in in the multifamily market that you can actually name or not name? Tell us about.
3: Yeah, I mean. I mean, there's a lot of stories during my 18 years and, and even before, but I would say that, you know, I grew up in a real estate household. Uh, you know, my, my aunt was very, um, involved in, in real estate and of course my father. Uh, but I remember some stories and, and, you know, for example, Nelson Scalbania, the, 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 the mogul who, and I actually worked for him at the Wedgwood hotel when I was younger. And there's some crazy stories there as a valet. Um, but you know he was quite he was quite the entrepreneur and exceptionally smart. Um, and I remember he would come over to the house. Uh, we were family friends, and my mother only allowed one person to smoke cigars in the house with my father, and that was with Nelson. And uh, I remember he called once. He says y- you need to have a babysitter uh, overnight, and he'd show up in his Rolls Royce limo and. And, and, and my parents didn't know where they were going. They flew to New York for dinner because that's where the good restaurant was. And, and he would buy expensive jewelry and it was just larger than life, uh, personality. And, uh, there were stories that I would hear around the kitchen table where he would do a deal literally on a napkin, a purchase and sale agreement. I promised to buy this for this amount. And here's my deposit check and it was on a napkin and then he would hop in a cab he would go 5 blocks and he flipped the deal for a million dollars this is back in the 80s i mean just insane there was no agency who are you representing it doesn't matter there's no fin track it was, it was the wild west you could do whatever you wanted uh but we call that <laughs> shadow flipping now <laughs> yeah he didn't do it in the shadows he was- <laughs> he sold the napkin <laughs> that's right you know it's funny i when I was 18, I worked at the Wedgwood Hotel, which was run by Eleni Scalbania, and I was a valet. And uh, the the Bacchus Restaurant, which is still there, an amazing restaurant. And and my cousin used to work there, and I had the best job. I, I'd stand there, and the Ferraris would come, and Rolls Royces, and Nelson would come in, and he'd hold court with my father. And I remember he walked in, he threw twenty dollars, he said, "Here, kid, here's the easiest money you'll ever make." And then uh, and on the way back, uh, I remember getting in trouble from a lady because my, my shoes weren't shined properly. I learned a lot. Like, uh, they really came down hard on me because I didn't properly shine my shoes. But I remember one time uh, I, w- I was uh, standing, parking cars, and this guy pulls up. He, he, he parks his car right on Hornby, and he throws me the keys. He says, here, kid, uh, take my Ferrari for a spin. It's a lease. So, go for it. So, you know, here I am. I'm 18 years old. I could barely drive stick shift. There's a Ferrari idling on Hornby. <laughs> so, I hopped in the car and we were ripping up and down uh, Georgia Street with, with the cute girl, you know, the Receptor Boy, was I a hero. Uh, and those were crazy times, like where all the real major real estate guys would hold court at the Bacchus restaurant and do big deals. So, there's lots of crazy stories. I had, I'll tell you one. Uh, scary closing that I had. I sold the building years ago in the West End, and uh, I remember the buyer called me and he said, "We're going to have problems with closing. Check the news." And I said, "Oh, geez So I googled the address, and on Global TV or CTV, there is thy building that is set to close in just a few days. And it was during the the fireworks in the summer, uh, overlooking English Bay, and a couple, few kids climbed up the emergency uh, escape ladder. So these old buildings didn't have two sets of stairwells. They had one stairwell and the emergency escape ladder. And they climbed up in the ladder, hauled up a bunch of chairs and booze, and we're going to have a party on the roof and watch the fireworks. No big deal. Except one kid decided it would be fun to bounce up and down. I guess uh, it was a rooftop glass bubble over an old elevator shaft for lack of better words, Uh, it was like a a glass bubble and he, the kid was standing on it and broke through and dropped five or six stories. Fortunately had landed on one of those blue recycling bins that broke his fall. So the kid broke his leg. He didn't die. And I remember the the caretaker had to roll the recycling uh, blue bin from outside to inside. In the shaft, that's where they kept it. So, anyways, poor kid broke his leg. Um, and so the uh, the lender decided that he wasn't going to lend the buyer until an engineer went up on the roof to uh solve the problem so that wouldn't happen again. And and so you never know what's going to happen just because a deal's firm, you never know it's going to close until it closes. <laughs>
1: Right on. Well, maybe we'll leave it there, Mark, but two, two things. One is uh, how can people find out more and and get on your email list, the Goodman report. And, uh, and you mentioned something about hiring before. Is that right?
3: Yeah. So we're busy uh, and we need to, we need to keep up. So um, as soon as COVID is over, uh, if anybody wants to work in a crazy fast paced business with lunatic A type realtors, Give us a call. Uh, you can email me uh, through our website, goodmanreport.com. Uh, again, www.goodmanreport.com. You can go to our contact section and subscribe to our newsletter. And we publish something every couple of weeks. Don't worry, we won't spam you. You can unsubscribe at any time. And that's probably the best way to stay in touch.
2: And we, uh, Matt and I, have been on that mailing list for a long time and uh, can't say enough good things about it. So. Thank awesome. you. Uh, thank you for fun. Like it's been great to connect and to get you on the program, Mark. And uh, thanks a lot for your time. We know you're a busy guy.
3: And how could people subscribe to your podcast? More importantly,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Matt, yeah, it's, it's uh, Vancouver real But yeah, uh, we'll, we'll only plug that six or seven more times on the, outro. okay.
3: Just making <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, all right. Sounds good. Well,
3: It's a talk guys be well, stay safe. And, uh, let's keep doing deals.
2: Absolutely. Thanks again, Mark.
3: Thank you.
1: So there you have it folks. Our discussion with Mark Goodman principal at Goodman commercial and author and publisher of the Goodman report. Really enjoyed that conversation with
2: Mark, Matt. And, uh, Man, so many great stories. And I, I got a question for you before we cut for the day. Where were you during September 11th,
1: 2001? Uh, not not in a, as interesting. So Mark was in Amsterdam. Right. Uh, I believe. Fairly interesting place to spend some time. I think I was at the university in Winnipeg. Less interesting place. <laughs> but actually similar similar in that when he actually said oh they rolled out these tvs of course his his was in uh in dutch um but uh that's what they did at the university of winnipeg i remember they rolled out tvs everywhere and at, at first it seemed like um it seemed like almost they were overreacting with the tvs weirdly enough as i recall but uh but well, yeah, that was that was turned in to hindsight, a yeah. significant day. <laughs> in, in hindsight, you were on
2: the wrong side of history, not them. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Too many TVs, uh it says one yeah, student. Like, uh, <laughs> granted you were a poly size <laughs> student. Or were you, no you were his, you were you were history. You were more no, history no. economics, Yeah. But, uh
1: Anyways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um but yeah, that that's that's where I was. What else do we got Adam before we go? Yeah,
2: I want to remind everybody that we are hiring at Scalina Real Estate and the Vancouver Real Estate podcast. So if you are a licensee, so meaning that you have your real estate license, um, you could be a seasoned agent, you could be somebody who's just starting out, or you could be somebody who's just written the exam or about to write the exam. We'd love to hear from you. We are hiring a licensed agent. Um, we are also hiring someone um, for an administrative role, kind of a more an office management role. So uh, even if you don't have your real estate license, but you are looking for work, we'd love to hear from you. Send your resume to info at Podcast.com. Um and I think Mark actually in the interview gave his contact, but reach out to Mark Goodman as well. They've got uh, they've got positions at um, Goodman Commercial. So um, a lot of a lot of possible employment opportunities just came out of this show. But
1: yeah, no kidding. Eh? A lot a lot of employment opportunities. Sun sun starting to shine. We can meet up with two or three of our friends now. Yes. Uh I'm feeling positive about the future. Absolutely, um, but. Last but not least, Adam, we have Podcast.com. That is our website where all of our past episodes live, including all sorts of other things like the research tool we have, Private Client Services.
2: Yeah, Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You get realtor-level information at your fingertips. We have tried every research tool out there. This is absolutely the best, and you can get it for free
1: on our website, vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And I'm just thinking out loud here, Adam. If you're interested enough in real estate to be listening to this podcast, you probably want to get a sense of what's going on in the market in the next couple of months. It's going to be an interesting ride. Sold prices are crucial to that. Private client services and the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast have you covered. We also have our weekly newsletter with deal of the month stats the whole the whole gamut you want to be signed up over at uh, our site, yes, and if you want to talk about that employment uh, backyard barbecues anything else seven seven eight eight four seven two eight five four or matt at vancouver real dot com I was going to add small birthday parties if you
2: want to talk about that uh, <laughs> you can also try me at <laughs> 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouver real dot com we also have
1: that um, currently. Maybe uh, not so secret for all that much longer. Hope we might see that guy.
2: Yeah. I hope he brings his uh, volleyball Wilson with him. Um, <laughs> where, where is he? Is he
1: like, honestly, he's. Uh, he, I I, I mean, jo- all, all jokes aside, you've taken this quite seriously. And so have I. Uh, he's taken this to a next level.
2: And secret, if you're out there, they are actually relaxing the quarantine now. So um, the f- the notes. 14 days are up from yeah.
1: from early March.
2: Yeah, no need to be uh, in the bunker anymore. And uh, reach out; we'd love to. hear Also, from it doesn't you. transmit through a phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, uh, pick up the phone. Have a good week, guys. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.